Hey everyone, I'm your host, Alex Taylor, co-founder of Parallel. Welcome to Parallel Lives, a podcast where we learn about the tireless yet vibrantly challenging role the women we admire most live in parallel to their careers and personal pursuits, becoming and being a mom. Today's guest is Neha Roosh, the founder of Mother Untitled, the first platform exclusively focused on empowering women as they navigate career breaks in motherhood. Before becoming a mom herself, Neha spent 10 years in brand strategy and received her MBA from Stanford Business School. She then decided to downshift and become a stay-at-home mom after welcoming her first child. The experience was a catalyst for her to launch her own platform aimed at redefining what it means to be a stay-at-home mom and providing support for other women who are in the middle of their own career pivot or downshift. We talked about what we need to do as a society to better support our caregivers, the motherhood penalty, which is a sobering phenomenon for working mothers, and redefining what purpose looks like amidst identity shifts and so much more. We had an incredible conversation. I think irregardless of where you are in your motherhood journey, you will find this hugely informative and inspiring. I hope you enjoy the show. Neha, thank you so much for being here today. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Likewise. I feel like this has been a long time coming, but timing always works. It's the perfect it has, time to have this it has. And you have such a unique perspective on motherhood that is very much at the center of the national conversation right now. And we have so much to get through, but let's ground ourselves. I want to understand who you are and what were you doing before you became a mom of two? So funny because as you know, I'm writing the book right now and identity is so top of mind as we, as we sort of navigate the first part of the book. But I was very attached to an identity in being a creative, ambitious, um, growing, connected woman. And I had just graduated Stanford Business School. I was running brand at a startup called Zola, which if you got married in, you know, post 2014 or 2013, you're likely aware of it. And I had just gotten married. I was living in New York City, downtown, and really enjoying that version of myself. And did you always know that you wanted to become a mother? Having this very full life, was there this friction between the idea of motherhood and creating space for that in this big, vibrant life that you had created centered around your career and that identity? I had always wanted to be a mother. I mean, you know, I think the question, what do you do? What do you want to be rather? What do you do? We'll get to later, but what do you want to be? We asked children that, especially we used to ask children that a lot when you and I were growing up. And I really did always say a mother. I wanted to be a writer and a mother. And I, I think a lot of that is because of my own mother who, you know, it's interesting, you get her perspective, more full perspective and more real perspective now. But from my vantage point, when I was watching her, she had an incredible dynamic with my father and and she was sort of an empowered lead parent. And um, I, I, I longed for that sort of peace and purpose. And but I did in my 20s feel like I still had something to prove. And so, you know, I think the transition into motherhood for me was I felt ready for something else because of how hard I'd worked in my 20s. I felt like I'd done that and now I was ready for this next thing. So it kind of sounds like you woke up one day and had this epiphany that you were ready for a shift. You know, I think it was, it was coming, you know, when you're working, especially when you're the way work used to be, I think it's evolved so much from, you know, 2010 to 2020, wherever we are, 2023. Um, And in 2016, when I had my child, we were coming off of the lean in movement. Like we had been told work harder, work harder, work harder. And there was a lot of there was a lot of intensity and long hours. And the more you were in the office, 
the that equated to the harder you were working and or, and the the more valuable you were and those were sort of the metrics of success and that was starting to feel misaligned to what I was craving for myself and I think um when I got married and when we started trying to get pregnant it was already starting to the the seed was starting to plant that the politics in the workplace not necessarily the time but the politics were really draining me. They were keeping me up in the middle of the night. And as you know, once you have a child, there's someone else keeping you up in the middle of the night. Oh, yeah. You start to do the math of, if I'm going to be up in the middle of the night, do I want to be focused on this this experience or do I want to be having my mind loop around all these other dynamics? And I was rocking my son. And I remember just feeling like, you know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend it was rose colored. Like I didn't have, I had an overproduction issue, which I recognize in some ways is a great thing, but it, you know, it came with a whole slew of other of issues course. Yeah. and I had mastitis and all those things, but yet I felt a sense of belonging and peace. And I think it was because I didn't, there were no politics. There was no trying to be someone else to try and fit or trying to, in that moment, I just felt like I had the presence in the sense of belonging that I'd probably wanted for so long. And that version of myself is what compelled me to want to really make room for motherhood. You know, a lot of people say like, oh, I paused or like women paused to make room for, for the kid. I don't think I did that. I think I did it for myself. Yeah. That's beautiful. And so, so powerful. But What's interesting and what I'm hearing is that you started to think about this idea of being a stay-at-home mom or creating this different space for yourself as a mother even before you had children. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yes. I think it was as I was as I started a family. You know, and yeah. family starts yeah. when from us I think and this is a big difference between home parents today versus the home parents of 19 19- 50s, you're getting married a lot later. So by the time you're getting married, at least in our case, you know, it really is with the intention of this is the person. In the case of people who are wanting children, when we got married, it was, we're ready. Yeah. This is with the intention to start a family. Yes. But it is interesting, you know, you bring up this generational difference in that women are in the workplace and we are hitting this inflection point where the peak of our career intersects with our most ripe reproductive years. Mm-hmm. And that brings so many challenges. So when you saw that positive pregnancy test with your first, did you have any fears about making concessions about your career or or were you kind of starting to see more clarity on what this pause or really stepping back or did you just think you would figure out how to reprioritize and continue working? Tell me about that moment. I think it was most close to the latter. So when I, or the last, I think we were actively trying, which I think changes, right? Like there's a level of intention and planning that goes in. Absolutely. And to that end, I was already invested in the idea that I would trust this process and I would trust. And when people say trust the process, I actually think what they're saying is I trusted myself. I really believed and still believe that I had had a set of accomplishments, ambitions, network connections, and a skill set that would serve me and a certain amount of privilege to be able to make the right choice for my family and eventually be able to allow that to lead to the next evolution of my career. And I didn't, I didn't find those choices to clash with one another. I just saw it as a fluid evolution. And I do believe that that self-trust is what allowed me to step into that season of life with more clarity, right? And I think where our culture makes it hard, our culture specifically makes it hard for women is beyond forcing that decision point, right? Because of the lack of 
paid leave, forcing that yeah. decision point sooner. I had the the ability to really take my time. I had five months or so. So, um, you know, when you're under the gun to make a decision at your most raw, that's very challenging. And then when you are coming head to head with this flawed narrative and trope that if you choose to pause or downshift your career, that's a career ender, right? This was not a career ender in my mind. This was a pause, a very viable, strong moment in a sort of evolving journey. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. There's so much we have to unpack here, but I want to just touch on this too, because I think it's so important for our listeners that there's something very supernatural that happens around this time of building a family and bringing in new little person into this world. And it's the power of our instinct. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. gut feeling is so powerful. And it sounds like it really kind of shifted into high gear for you. What was that timeline in terms of deciding to leave your job? Were you still pregnant? Had you given birth? Where were you? So I did a slow downshift, which I think was helpful to me personally, because it allowed me to test and learn. And I do tell women if they are conflicted or they aren't crystal clear on what they want at that moment, finding that middle ground is a really interesting place to be. I knew I wanted more peace and headspace. So my first move was away from the larger startup, which was more uh, heavily backed by venture funding. So it was just more in the spotlight. And I went to a smaller women-led lifestyle company to run their mm -hmm. brand. So that okay. was the first move that I made. Interesting. And that okay. was while I was pregnant. Got it. Because I... Like I said before, I did not want to be losing more sleep than you already do when you're pregnant. And there was something about being in the company of women in a smaller space under less scrutiny that just, it felt inherently empowering and still purposeful and still felt like I was moving my career forward, but at a uh, pace in an environment that felt nurturing as I grew a child. Um, it's interesting you say that. I did something very similar when I was pregnant. Really? I was in a very intense environment that I think it was it was incredibly taxing to my mental health and physically demanding and you know there's all the politics layered in and I craved something that would create a, a healthier space for myself because I thought first of all my health isn't worth a job and if I can't care for myself here how could I ever care for another person so I I also went move to another company that was going to be more supportive. So it's interesting how rather than maybe staying within your current scope or job and kind of seeing if you can downshift there, it's, is there an environment that could be a stepping stone to allow you to shift back slightly? I often say um, for to women who are not yet ready to leave the workforce or, and don't want to, and are craving more room for themselves, whether that's to feel more whole and healthy or more room with their family, that they have the opportunity to look at a wide range of options to make room for family. And sometimes that is a lateral move to a different environment. Sometimes that is negotiating part-time work. Sometimes that's freelance. And not all of those options are right for the same people. That one felt right while I was, while I was yeah. So you moved to another company, a female-led company, something you felt more supportive of this new season of your life. Tell us where you went from there. I think I developed really nice relationships within that company, so much so that, you know, they were among the first to meet my baby when, when I had my first son, Bodhi, on New Year's Day, 2016. And the founder and I were in constant touch about what felt right for me to return. And we settled on four and a half months. And at that point, I said, I had just had these moments, as I described before, sitting in that white rocking chair, thinking this, this version of myself where I'm not trying to be anything else. I want more of this, you know, and... and so I negotiated with her returning two days a week. And that to me felt like 
a way in which I could continue to deliver real value for her. I was the next senior person in that company and I, I knew that was valuable to her and I wanted to do right by her. And I wanted to allow myself that continued income and that continued connection to creative work. And I did that for a year uh, while, and what was so interesting was I had those two days, except the remainder of the week, I was really at home with my son. And I, it allowed me to compare where I felt the most purposeful, where I felt like I was adding the most value and impact and where I felt the most whole. And resoundingly, I could sort of listen to myself and hear that it was in the time at home. So I didn't fully pause until, you know, a, a year and a half, until my son was a year and a half. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a massive change from what you were, what you were doing. So I think that gradual, you know, shift in terms of how your time and where your purpose was is a really natural and kind of lovely, lovely timeline for someone like you, you know, it's zero to 60 otherwise. Mm -hmm. So tell us about your first days being a full stay at home mom. Did you look at yourself differently in the mirror? I, 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 as someone who has had a, been very fortunate to have a very big career, I had, I, I took a pause. And I remember how tough it was from an identity perspective, because I was like, I look in the mirror, I'm like, who, who am I without this title? And also, why did I let a job define me? And yet this is the greatest, most wonderful, important job of my life being a mom. And yet I feel this weird emptiness and anxiety about what my LinkedIn says. It was just like this whole, it, it was all my ego and all about my identity and reaffirming who I was, but like, did you feel any of that? Like, what were those early days like for you? I think you, first of all, you describe so much so the experience of most women going into a pause or downshift. We have a culture that has placed so much value on titles and salary and these sort of outward benchmarks of success that when we're not challenged to define that for ourselves and challenged to define what identity is outside of a business card, it can feel like a real shock to the system, especially, I think, in the year that you and I were navigating that, right? Because it was a different environment even from then, which was around when I started to start yes. Mother Untitled to now. Uh-huh. And also the fact that for whatever reason, the title of mom felt so reductive in that culture. Mm -hmm. It mm -hmm. didn't it didn't represent the fullness of this tremendous role. And it felt that if you were a mom, you were less than if you no longer had this job or this title. And it's so backwards. Well, I think that psychologically, we are wired to derive a sense of identity from saying we're part of some sort of organization and association, yes. right? Like we, yes. we draw a lot of association. So I'll give you the example. You were asking about what my early days were. And I will tell you that I did. I continued to feel like in some way being in the, being in the rawness and the simplicity and the cocoon with my son brought me back to myself. And I, and I really mean that in the sense of, you know, I, we would walk through the park and I would sort of slow and listen to my own thoughts and not other people's thoughts for the first time in a long time. And I was meeting incredible women. And part of that is the nature of where I lived. I'm sure you had something similar. New York, especially downtown New York, had just an incredible spectrum of women who were making similar choices, who had had ambitious careers and were you know, in the playground trading stories of having downshifted to a couple of days a week or taking a pause and trying to figure out what came next or starting, um, finally tinkering around with an idea they'd had alongside their kids. And none of it added up to the character of stay-at-home mother that we've been fed. So I was sort of looking at myself thinking, gosh, I feel so empowered in the true sense of the world, which word, which means, you know, being comfortable in your own skin and your choice and having agency. And I'm meeting these women who are also creative and connected. Why does that not match the other side, which is what you were asking about, which is that when I was first asked, what do you do? And I remember I was at the Soho house 
We were on Saturday mornings. We used to bring our son to the family pool situation that they would have. I mean, you might I love be- it there. I know yeah. it well when I visit. So, <laughs> you know, you do this morning thing and my husband had taken my son in, into the pool and this beautiful, confident woman who looked very Parisian and very creative, very casually said, what do you do? She didn't mean anything by it. I still don't even know if she worked or didn't out of the home. However, I felt this instant, like I need to word vomit my entire life trajectory to explain to her that I'm feeling a great degree of purpose and interest in this time in my life with my children. And I used to be like her. So I felt like in the absence of the association, right? So I go back to psychologically, we are wired to derive a great sense of identity from saying we are associated with something. So in my example, just by saying I run brand at a startup, I've conveyed a few things. I've said that I'm in a leadership position, which means I'm ambitious. I've said that I run brand, which is intelligent and creative and at a startup, which means I'm somewhat like tech forward, right? I've communicated all these things about myself in a very pithy statement. Yes, absolutely. And the same is true if you say I'm in fashion or I'm in banking or I'm a teacher. Like there's a great amount we communicate just by saying we're associated with an industry, even without saying the exact title. However, as soon as you say I'm I'm a stay-at-home mom or I'm at home with my kids, there's a very different connotation that comes up. Oh, and yeah. In 2016, 2017, what would come up was an image of entitled, not ambitious, tired, exhausted, everything that is the opposite of empowered, right? And so, um, yes, so I was noticing that coming up and I was holding this entirely amazing, incredible, eye-opening experience. So holding those two things side by side was really the beginning of Mother Untitled. Wow. I cannot relate more to that. It was this dissonance Mm -hmm. and this realization, but how do I lean into and stop defending my decision to take a year to be with my son for his first year of life? I remember just having such a hard time even. I didn't want to go out and socialize because I wasn't sure how to talk about everything exactly like you without this dissertation. And yet it's like, why do I have to explain myself? I'm genuinely happy and feeling more fulfilled than I ever have. So how do we change the narrative? You know, we've got this leave it to beaver perception of what stay at home mom looks like, and it's so different and so vibrant and so beautiful. How do we start to change the conversation? Where does that start? I love that you brought that up. Because I do think that June Cleaver image has embedded itself into history. And it really, if you really pair that back, what it came from, honestly, was vacuum commercials. It was like post-war World War II, they were <laughs> they had the boom of machines like dishwashers and vacuum cleaners, and they were trying to advertise that this is gonna make life easier for women. So they started showing women walking around in heels with a platter of cookies and like a scotch for their husband. And lo and behold, they came up with this image that probably never existed. It was probably always vibrant, but never more so than now because women are educated at much higher rates than any generation before. The educational attainment far exceeds men, male counterparts at this this point. So we're looking at a group of women who are highly educated, they've clocked in work experience in a way that they're not having children at 23 anymore. So they've assembled sort of a career portfolio by the time they have children. So they have those experiences to draw on. And there's a boom of technology, which has allowed connections and community and ongoing learning and freelance work to continue while at home. So where before we had this image of if a woman chooses to be fully at home, she's disconnected from ongoing learning opportunities. Now we have that actually in some ways, when you leave the traditional workforce, a lot of women report, you know what, it finally gave me time to think about this other area of industry that I've always wanted to learn about. 90% of women intend to return 
after pausing. And that one stat means that our greatest job right now in the work that we do with Mother Untitled is to elevate the image of more and more women who are ambitious and who are choosing to construct some version on the wide spectrum of the gray area, right? Which is what we call the difference, the sort of vast in between of stay at home and working mother. And when we shine a light on all of that fluid in between and elevate more examples of ambitious men and women who are choosing to pause, we normalize it, we infuse dignity in it, we continue the conversation about the power and potential that's possible when men or women are at home caregiving. And we start to blur the line so that they can transition back yeah. without penalty on the other side. And does that start with, obviously we are so fortunate to live in this day and age because we have platforms like social media for women of influence to share and evangelize this. But do we need to see more of this represented in the media? Like, how do we start to really create more of a shift? Mm -hmm. and, I really and, believe it's a acceptance. language. Yes. Yeah. I do think it starts with the women in the pause. Like, and, and I think that that's why the community and the collective is so important because we empower each other to own the language right? So if you had the language, you wouldn't stay home and hide during that one year of a pause. You're out there claiming your space in the conversation with pride and confidence and dignity. And then you're allowing other women to do that and other men to do that. And it becomes a larger part of the conversation when more and more men and women feel empowered, not just to say it at a cocktail party, but to put it on their LinkedIn. You know, I've had women write to me and say, I feel proud because of the community to have finally made the decision and I'm proud of my other accomplishments that have led me to this point and I'm excited to see where this is going. I'm going to put this on my LinkedIn. I'm going to announce my career pause. And obviously that is a very um, a visceral example of saying boldly, I am choosing to pause and I'm choosing to lean into the potential of that. And I'm going to stay connected and I'm not going to shy away. And I think the more and more from a grassroots level, women have the agency and the language to put that out there, we change the conversation. And then I think from a corporate level, the more HR managers and companies can talk about the other side, right? And have the language to be able to invite women back in to talk about, not about resume, quote unquote, gaps, but to their career portfolio and how their pause or their downshift added to their experience, the better we are. So it, it, it sort of starts from a grassroots and then I think on the other side, a corporate policy perspective that just empowers yeah. more flex work mm -hmm. and returnships so that we're really creating that fluidity. Yeah. And I think just more women who are leaders and have influence sharing that story. You know, I, I did a lot of therapy to kind of get to where you are and have that realization about halfway through my pause. Mm -hmm. And it was just truly so liberating. But at the same time, I felt like I could really better evangelize and represent the fullness of the life I had intentionally chosen. And even now as a leader, or when I have friends who also have big careers and they're at this crossroads, they feel such a sense of relief when I tell them I took a year mm -hmm. and it was the greatest year of my life. Mm -hmm. And candidly, I hope I get more pauses and I get more opportunity to do that. But it was, I think, just also creating this conversation that it's okay and it's a wonderful time and making it more acceptable and just more people sharing that. I think mm -hmm. I never heard of you know, we never heard of these titans of female industry sharing that experience or even doing that. So I think it's just creating a, first of all, an acceptance and an openness to share these experiences and say they're okay and they're actually really wonderful. Mm -hmm. So it's just huge what you're doing with, with your platform. And I want to talk a little bit more about Mother Untitled. It's deeply powerful. Every piece of content you share, 
I personally feel so seen and clearly thousands of other women do too because your account has grown so quickly and you are just deeply lies with the resources and the conversation starters you're you're creating there. But what's interesting is it's almost kind of at odds, odds with this pause, you know, like how does that, how do you, are you still paused? Is this your kind of gray area in between? Like where are you and how did you approach it with this new new mentality? Oh, gosh, that's such a beautiful, very top of mind question for me daily. I am very much still in the gray area. Um, I think one of the things I described in this conversation is the peace that I found, a peace I'd been longing for for a long time in my pause in my full pause. However, part of that piece came from the acceptance that that was what I was focusing on for right now, right? And as I began to plant the seeds for Mother Untitled, which as you notice has grown recently, it, you know, it's really hit its stride. And I think there's a moment in culture and I was ready for it personally because my children are now school-aged. But before they were school-aged, I was really planting the seeds for this thing. And it was something I cared so much about. I've had the same exact thesis from the day I launched, but there was an acceptance that always had to be in the back of my mind. And I now tell everyone who's working on any sort of, whether it's a passion project or a small business or a freelance career that your pace does not outweigh your purpose, right? So I knew I was moving slowly and doing the best I could at that time. And now, interestingly, as we were talking about before, I'm shifting the other direction where I now have much more room and time to focus on my business because my kids are in school and I crave the peace that I have with, with my, with, you know, just being fully focused there. And I think the challenge I'm having is bringing that, the lessons from the pause into this next phase, into the professional dynamics as my team grows with the book deal. There's a lot more people and players. There are a lot more things that are back to keeping me up at night. And you know, what's fascinating is the weeks that I feel the most peaceful are when I still block schedule days that I just fully focus on motherhood. It somehow brings me back to what matters and the perspective that none of this is urgent and how lucky are we to be able to do work of meaning alongside family life. So to answer your question, I think I'll continue to exist in the gray, to, ex to sort of meaningfully make room for family life, not just for the kids and because I have to, but because it feeds my other work, it makes me better. It makes me more whole and it, it really keeps the perspective intact. Yeah. What I'm hearing is that part of the mission behind Mother Untitled is to make it okay to be in the gray mm -hmm. indefinitely. Mm -hmm. We're so, like you said, we're so attached to labeling and defining and yet there's so much beauty and power and owning the in-between and not having to make it a hard and fast definition of what you do or what you're going to do or where you are in the journey. It's very powerful. And it's I think powerful. allowing ourselves to recalibrate often, you know, to know that you can be in a thoughtful pause during one season and an interval sprint the next season, right? Do you know, when I was in the thick, I don't know how familiar you are with the book process, but when I was in the proposal phase, before we, uh, before we sold the deal, it was, it was like writing a thesis on my life's work, right? And it took so much out of me and it took, it was, you know, I'd contained it to a period of four months and I just kept saying to myself, this is, this is a small window of time and this is a sprint. And I accept that for right now. And I embrace what it is, which is I'm finally getting this chance and I know it's not forever. There's a long game. And, you know, I say that both in the sprints and the pauses that you get to focus on what matters right now and, and trust there's time for the other thing. Mm -hmm. Empowerment is a big theme here as well. You know, having the choice is so important and it's important to note that there are so many financial 
reasons why women leave the workplace to become a stay-at-home mom. And realistically, men don't often face that same decision. You know, why is it important for us to talk about this as a society so people can have the choice? Mm. Because when we create, you know, stay-at-home motherhood, one of the big tropes was that it was a luxury. You know, it was considered this luxurious way of being. And the reality, as you described, is a third of home parents leave the workforce because they can't afford the child care to offset the contribution to the household income. And now, mind you, I have ways in which to reframe that, however, and how women should reframe that because it should never come out of just the woman's salary, right? Childcare comes out of the joint household income. However, when we equate one side of the equation, quote unquote, stay at home or quote unquote, working mother with a luxury, it creates division. When really the privilege is not to stay at home or not to work out of the home or exist in between the privileges to get to choose. And once the privilege is to get to choose, then we all realize if we have the privilege that we should be making the best choice for ourselves right now. And we should be looking at policies and there are, you know, there's obviously policies on the docket right now to help women stay in the workforce, whether that's more affordable childcare, more flexible work solutions where we're lacking. And I think that um, this is a far far down the road for America is the ability to create childcare stipends, right? Like, you know, where we're, we're giving parents money because they are choosing not to send their child to daycare. They're, they're choosing to parent themselves. It just, it feels like a far off policy for this particular country. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, there is massive systemic change though, that needs to be put in place to even support this type of optionality that you're describing for for parents because there are many parents out there that just simply can't take a pause or downshift because they they rely on the income but it's truly a systemic issue because culturally by the signals i'm seeing from a policy perspective we don't value family mm -mm. though we talk a lot States. about valuing family we do yeah. we talk about it but you know, we don't walk the walk. And I think you just described some really important change that we need to really rally around as well. And I think from an, uh, from a paid family leave perspective, the reality is that if you talk to someone and, you know, I interviewed this woman from Canada, a psychologist for the book, and she was saying, she was describing her 18 month maternity leave because you have a 12 month maternity leave. And then you have another six months that you can opt into, which means 18 months. And if you're now having a child, it just gets in during that 18 months, it can sort of extend indefinitely. And all that I kept thinking about was a woman who wrote to me via Mother Untitled, who was trying to make this huge decision about her career at three weeks postpartum. And she was asking, should I pause? Should I not pause? And all I could say was, you do not have to make that decision right now. It feels like that, but take as much time as humanly possible because right now you are still bleeding. You are still healing. You are still not sleeping. And to put women under that pressure and households under that pressure to make huge financial and lifestyle decisions in that state is, um, is a true recipe for failure. I, I couldn't agree more. And yet now you know, much of that responsibility is falling onto corporations here at my company. We have put in place a ton of policy to support families or creating a family. And it's tough for small businesses mm -hmm. to shoulder that type of program. It's the right thing to do, but it really reminds us that there is a larger way to solve and support these changes through policy. And unfortunately, so, it is the small businesses doing a lot, the female-led businesses doing the work. Uh, I just heard of this great organization uh, that is budding to pay, pair and match entrepreneurs, female entrepreneurs specifically, to women returning from the workforce. 
to basically match because of course it will be the women it'll be the it'll be the mother-led businesses that value and understand that women returning from the workforce have learned and grown their leadership skills their personal development in spades um, yeah yeah there's something interesting too that I'd love to talk about with you kind of riffing off of what we're where we're at, we recently did a campaign called the motherhood gap, where we Mm -hmm. talked about how women shoulder a majority of the costs as it relates to creating and having children and creating families. And there was one statistic that really popped out at me and it was, you know, mothers, mothers make 58 cents for every dollar paid to a father. And when you think about women in the workplace now, we are farther along in our careers. Our value is higher. We bring so much more to the table. And even as mothers, I believe that mothers are the ultimate multitaskers. There's no better employee than a mother because we know how to get it done. And yet we're undercut in terms of value. But on the flip side, we actually do need to be paid more because we are bringing so much more value to a company through our perspective, our experience, and also the fact that we are kind of more expensive because we need to be able to afford childcare mm-hmm. so that we can mm-hmm. show up. And, you know, I'm a firm believer that and this is even the mission of my business is to create a world of more healthy and supported women and supported women are productive women. It, there's so many layers here, but let's just even key in on this salary discrepancy. Mm-hmm. It's pretty scary. It is. It is. Mostly because if you look at men and women, I think the research just came out today that men and women are, for the first time, equal earners. Not mothers and fathers, men and women, right? Which means you can start to correlate the gap very specifically to parenthood. And you can also take that gap and apply it to freelancers which is really unfortunate because when you look at freelancers, I think recent data as of this week is showing that women, female freelancers who have the exact same experience as male freelancers, right? So that's not about years out of the workforce or titles. That, that's just purely apples to apples um, are paid less. And I think that the best thing we can do and this, by the way, this relates to every industry, including influencers and content creators and probably is, is pay transparency, right? And we have to call upon and men to be allies in that. And I think a lot of men sort of roll their eyes at allyship because like how much can they do? That's a big one. That's an easy one because we are able to give women a way and a way to communicate. I really do believe it just becomes tools around language and communication, right? To advocate worth and, um, and transparency, by the way, I think is a theme around motherhood in general. One of the things we were talking about in terms of sort of these titans of industry that we've seen glorified for so long is we need transparency around how much help is going into building these businesses and building these careers because there's a lot of costs around childcare that are sort of unveiled. There's a lot of resources that we are unclear about. And so then it's perpetuating the cycle of uh, a false belief on what's possible. And so from a mental health perspective and a support perspective, we really need to know not only how much should we be paid, but how much is possible based on the resources and support we have in place. Because the saddest thing I see in our community, which as I described, a lot of the women, I believe 50, as of recently, 55% were in a full pause. And then the remainder really were somewhat in the gray. So either running on their own business alongside, um, freelancing, consulting. And one of the hardships is that they just simply are comparing themselves to everyone else thinking, I need to be doing more, not knowing that the person they're comparing themselves to has full-time childcare or, you know, and so transparency really is the key for all of us, not only in owning our stage, life stage, our choices, what we're choosing to focus on, let go of what we're getting paid, what resources we have in place. It'll move us all forward collectively. 
Absolutely. And I would imagine that this statistic of women earning less for every dollar, specifically mothers, likely impacts many women who do decide to take a pause. So how do you support your community with those that are maybe coming out of their pause Mm. to get Mm. back into the workforce and ensure that they're recouping kind of their earning potential? So the wage penalty is one of the ways, you know, there are a lot of organizations doing a lot of work around paid family leave and our mission is to elevate the worth and potential of women during career pauses so that we can minimize that wage penalty on the other side. Right. And the way in which to do that, of course, you mentioned our social community, which is obviously like I like to think of it as little um, language prompts and reframes to help you advocate your worth in your day to day and know your worth day to day and be able to walk through the world with more confidence. But if you drive further into the brand and into the platform, you'll see that all of the resources on site, whether it's mentors, whether it's flex jobs, or whether it's the articles and and written content is all geared around giving women the actual support and specifically in returning to work around how do we write a resume that lowers the impact, that decreases the impact of that quote unquote gap and really plays up all the skills learned, all those volunteer things you were doing, all that coaching for your partner that you or a friend that you did on their small business. How do you play up those other ways in which ambitious women are staying connected during their pause that you have talking points in place when you go into that interview? How do you use the time leading up to your return to work to meaningfully search and network such that you understand very clearly what to expect in an interview setting, what to expect in terms of a salary negotiation. We have mentors in place who help with that negotiation so that you have the skills because everything takes practice. Answering what do you do? We have a script on there for when you're in the pause and you want to still network, how you answer that with confidence and walk through this phase with language in place to make sure that everyone you come across understands that you are still part of the game, that you are still learning, that you're still growing and you're still open to opportunity. But specifically around the return to work, we do have coaches and mentors in place as well as negotiation guides to make sure that you are able to package this experience. Because I do believe it is a career portfolio. It's not a career ladder anymore. And that time away from the workforce also isn't black and white. You likely have been volunteering in a school and helping a friend on a business and staying connected via, you know, online learning opportunities. And all of those things are, are talking points. Yeah. And also there's no tougher boss than a two-year-old. <laughs> yes. And there's the leadership skills. I mean, you know, we were talking really? about sort of amplifying the stories of leaders who took their own pauses. Nancy Pelosi is a great, you've heard me talk about this before. She always says she got her leadership training in the household raising five children, right? Could not she agree was a more. Fully at home parent who volunteered, got involved in the PTA, met a congresswoman, took that congressional seat when her last child was off to college. Like if that is not an example, regardless of your politics, of career is a long game. Motherhood is the ultimate leadership training ground. And all of your experiences lead to where you're meant to be. I just, I don't know what is. Yeah. I often ask many of my guests because they are both mothers and leaders or, you know, they're all doing these wonderfully incredible things with their lives. And one of my favorite questions to ask, which I'm going to ask you right now is what have you learned from your role as a mother that you bring into your your life as a leader of this incredible platform you've created? That ego is not worth as much as peace and joy. That's a beautiful answer. And I think I'm really holding that dear right now in this transition, and I keep coming back to it, is that this idea of ease we talk a lot about in this moment, like coveting ease. And I think a lot of it comes from letting go of ego. Yeah. I find that to be the most powerful attribute of the most influential leaders. It truly Mm -hmm. is. There's the bigger picture. And when you can get out of yourself, you can be so impactful. This has been tremendous. I, I can't thank you enough for having 
this incredible conversation with me. I cannot wait to share this with my community. You've shared so many important tidbits, and I, I just truly believe what you're doing with Mother Untitled is, is so needed and deeply admirable. So thank you for your work. Thank you for I'm saying excited that. For your book. And I feel similarly. <laughs> the, the best part of this work is there are so many women doing it alongside each other, and it yeah. is very heartening. Thank you again for being here today. Thanks for tuning in to Parallel Lives. Stay tuned for new episodes and be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you like today's show, we'd be forever grateful if you take a moment to rate and review us. You can find us online at parallelhealth.com. That's P-E-R-E-L-E-L health.com or on Instagram at Parallel Health. I'm Alex Taylor and you've been listening to Parallel Lives. Thanks so much for tuning in. Today's episode was made possible by the company that I co-founded alongside my co-founder, Tori, and Dr. Bayati, which is Parallel. We are the first and only OBGYN-founded women's vitamin, offering targeted nutrition for each unique stage of the motherhood journey, from preconception through each individual trimester, because mom and baby need different nutrients to support them, and into postpartum. We created this product because we felt completely failed by the available options on the market. There was an opportunity to create more targeted nutrition for each of these stages. And so we turned to the nation's top doctors to formulate these products. So each product is meticulously formulated by our founding team of world-class doctors, which includes notable OBGYNs, widely published maternal fetal medicine doctors, award-winning endocrinologists in partnership with functional medicine doctors, naturopaths, nutritionists, and even doulas. It was so important for us to create a product that both Eastern and Western medicine doctors could agree on. I personally take the Mom Multipack. I have a little one who's two years old and four years old, but we have incredible products for all the different stages. So for all of you listening, we are going to offer you a very exclusive 20% off your first month with code PODCAST20. So head to parallelhealth.com. That's P-E-R-E-L-E-L health.com and use that code.